When was the last time you cried? Last, the last time, yeah. Oh, last night. Um, some maybe over one of those uh, cathartic uh, Hallmark movies as you were sitting there, husbands with your wives. No, maybe not. When you slammed your finger in the door, you know, or slicing those big Spanish onions, and all of a sudden those juices flow and the, the eyes um, fill up. The Cleveland Eye Clinic writes that there are three types of tears. And we only thought, well, their tears are tears, but apparently not. They said the first kind are called basal tears, and there are complex three layers tears that coat the eye and they give nutrients to the eye. Uh, there are the types of tears that if debris comes in, uh, these basal tears protect the eye from drying out and protects the cornea. It uh, provides some real nutrients for that. Um, and you shed basal tears, they say, but you don't even notice it. A second kind are called reflex tears. Uh, these are mostly water, and they're produced in a response to external stimulus. You're going along, and the bug flies in your eye, and you know, again, you rub, and it, it causes the tears to uh, flush out that, uh, that, um, uh, that bug or whatever it was that went in. And the third kind that probably we think of more so is called emotional tears, uh, one that we're familiar with that flow with the overcoming motion that we often find in parts of life. It can be in matters of stress or pain or even great joy, and the scientists have said they have found uh, uh, traces of endorphins in these. So it's, it's just of the feelings that come out of us. As you know, today is Palm Sunday, often spoken of as Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's hard to gauge, but I would kind of think as you read through the Gospels that this was probably uh, the pinnacle of, of public joy surrounding Christ himself. There were different ministries that he had, and people were happy and, and expressed such, but I kind of think that this one uh, was the most joyous in his public earthly ministry. It was following, bringing his good friend Lazarus back to life. And then they had the opportunities as the day, days moved on to uh, uh, leave that little town of Bethany, head north to Jerusalem, a journey of about two-mile walk, which is no small distance, but nonetheless something that they were used to. Um, many of the folks um, following from Bethany uh, with Jesus because of the, no doubt the things they saw with Lazarus and excited about it. Is This is a, a feast day coming up. And then others leaving Jerusalem and coming out to meet them on the pathway. Although it's never mentioned, I'm pretty sure there were tears shed in the crowd. Some from the dirt and the dust that kicked up that was in there, but others, the emotional uplift that occurred. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Uh, palm branches were often used to, uh, to follow it as a matter of victory. Uh, a general or whatever would come from the battlefield of victory and the palm branches would be waving away. A very great multitudes spread their garments in the way and 
Others cut down branches from trees and strewed them in the way. And the multitude that went before and followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And, and it had to be a heart-filled, you know, uh, expressions of, of anticipation. Probably unknowingly, though, they were taking from Psalm 118 although they would have read that at times, especially coming up to this time of the year. Psalm 118 says, Save now, I beseech thee. O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee. Send now prosperity. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. So, unknowingly, they're fulfilling this psalm. Save us! That's Hosanna. Now the word has been used at different times in Old and into the New Testament, but it's transitioned to this thought. You know, they're looking at him and saying, "Save us!" You know, oh, oh Lord, God, what a heartfelt cry. Yet in the context of all that was going on, Jesus knew the week ahead of him would be the greatest challenge of his life, his earthly existence. There would be times of teaching his disciples with those final lessons, final things to remember before he's taken away. He would have the Passover meal with them, time to go into the garden and pray. There was the betrayal, the arrest, then the mock trial, the beatings, and finally the crucifixion. All of that in his mind and heart, knowing it. He was not ignorant, maybe to the specific details, yes, but not to what is taking place. So as the crowds are cheering him and in uplifting this great time of exuberation for them, in stark contrast, Jesus wept. Stark contrast to the shouts of delight with the tears he shed I want to take three examples that we only find in scriptures of Jesus crying. It doesn't mean those were the only times, but these are the ones that our authors give us. And the first, John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept. Sometimes you would have said, oh, I need to memorize the Bible verse real quick. Do the shortest verse, you know. John eleven thirty five. Leading up to this verse, Jesus and his disciples were probably resting along the Jordan, uh, kind of a a quiet time to get away, a peaceful time away from the crowds. Word came to him, he whom thou lovest is sick. Now how they knew where he was, you know, how they knew all of those things, but those who were with Lazarus, uh, Mary and Martha, send word to the master. You know, he had frequented their house. He knew where that was, and they sent word to him. Yet instead of heading out immediately, he tells his disciples, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of Man might be glorified thereby. And he waited two days. He waited two days. The disciples understood who he was. They've seen enough healings. They've seen enough events to take place that he is the miracle worker. And you read that, and I'm kind of thinking to myself, 
He says, this sickness is not unto death because he understood that he would raise Lazarus from the dead. But maybe they're thinking, uh, maybe it's just kind of a, a weak case of COVID or something like that. You know, let's just hold back. We, we don't have to go right away. You know, they didn't understand. Yet by the time they arrive in Bethany, everybody realizes that Lazarus is dead. Two days later, Sure, if he would have gone on time, he probably could have done something to heal him, but that wasn't the intent. Lazarus was already dead. As a matter of fact, he was wrapped in his grave clothes. He was in the tomb. The tomb is sealed up. And the scripture talks about him already in the state of decay. He stinks. According to Jewish tradition, Lazarus' body would have been wrapped in linens like Jesus was. And they put perfumes and other spices in order, in order to keep the, the scent of the decaying body down. But those spices and those fragrances soon would disappear, and they would recognize uh, what the case was because they never embalmed the bodies. As Jesus and the disciples finally arrive, it's Martha who first meets him. And no doubt the eyes were searching the hills for him, coming down the roadside, And Martha says, with no doubt, great emotion and tears, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Read in between the lines, and there's a lot more interchange that he has with her. But but she's pouring out. And then a little bit later, the same interchange with Mary. Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. Both sisters expressing the same thought, expressing emotion. If you had come earlier, don't you care? You know, in a, in a nice way, uh, don't you care, Lord? I think that had to have been running through everybody's mind. The families who were there, the, the attendees of the funeral. I think the family was well known in Bethany. I'm sure the people came out. They saw what was happening. A friend of Jesus was dying, and now he's dead, and here comes Jesus. And why didn't he come earlier? And I'm sure they're thinking, didn't he care? Even the disciples. You've healed so many before. Could you not have done something sooner to prevent this? Our text in verse 33 When Jesus, therefore, saw her weeping, and this is Mary. He's coming into the the, the crowds, and he sees Mary weeping. And the Jews also weeping that came along with her. And again, it was not uncommon to hire, have people who were weepers, but I think these were all sincere cryings. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loveth him. Wow. On the way to the tomb, and today you can go to the place where apparently uh, Lazarus was buried, the tomb, and it's, uh, as with much of the Holy Land, um, things are, are way down from what was probably the ground level. Uh, you have to go down like, three or four layers before you finally get to the place, the supposed place of the tomb of Lazarus. But passing by Mary and Martha, feeling their grief, because he did care. 
He always cared. There was never a moment in his life when he didn't think of this family, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, as special to him. And those who were crying around, he wept. He cried with them. It wasn't a sign of weakness, but it was a sign of compassion, of love, having sympathy, having, having a, a heartfelt feeling for those who loved him and those to whom he loved. How many times have you felt that the Lord simply didn't care? You know, Lord, why? The prayers you ignored. Why didn't the Lord answer me? Lord, if thou hast been there, my brother had not died. The sister said that. And how many times, although we don't necessarily think it specifically, we have that hard attitude. Lord, if you had done this or that, these children and teachers and others in Nashville wouldn't be dead. Lord, have you done this or that? That entire town in Mississippi wouldn't have been destroyed. Lord, if you had done this or that, answered my prayers, and uh, this wouldn't have happened, or that, or I'd fill in the blank. Lord, I wouldn't have to be going through these struggles in life. But in reality, Jesus does care. He always did. Ministering to the 5,000 next to the Sea of Galilee, he knew that they were spiritually hungry, but he saw that they were physically hungry, and he cared. And he took the loaves and the fish, and he multiplied them and supplied them all in order because he cared for them. He was the type of one who indeed saw the man born blind and provided sight for him. And those who were lepers, he brought them whole again because he cared for all of them. He brought life to the son of the widow of Nain. Remember her? You know? He says he's coming out of Nain and, and, and she was a widow with her only son who was dead. And, and Jesus brought him back to life and he says, go to your mother. Because he cared. He cared. Yet even our Lord Jesus Christ, though, he's not here anymore, is he? We'd prefer to see those miracles and have him come and do this and that, and I'll understand why, but he's not here anymore. Yet in truth, he has ascended into heaven where we are confident he hears and has compassion on us. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. High priests of the Old Testament form were those who stood before God representing the people. And, Lord, I'm pleading for these, my people. I'm I'm offering these sacrifices for these, my people. But he couldn't understand all of the people that he was representing. Even the high priest of Israel, all along the way, he couldn't have provided an understanding of all the necessities that were there, touched with the feelings of their infirmities, He didn't know. He just did it by faith as a matter of obligation, responsibility. But the author of Hebrews says, we don't have such a high priest because the high priest who represents us knows our feelings, our infirmities, our weaknesses, our everything. He understands that as he intercedes for us. Jesus wept. He wept because he cares. He wept because he cares. The second one is out of the Gospel of Luke. 
chapter 19 and verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Uh, The timeline here is we have them leaving Bethany uh, with the great crowds uh, uh, out of Bethany and on into Jerusalem. And sometime after he's entered into the city of Jerusalem, he comes to the place on the Mount of Olives, which is difficult today. I mean, we know where the Mount of Olives is, but to be able to see the city as it was then, because the Mount of Olives hasn't changed, but the city itself has been raised up because of, after every war, they build upon the ruins of the other one. So he would have had a, a complete view of the city from the Mount of Olives. His panoramic view, he pauses and he bursts into tears. The picture is different from when he cried with Mary and Martha and the others. He was shedding tears that, of, of compassion and emotion for them. But this is a weeping. He sees the city and he cries over it. What did he see? What did Jesus cry for as he saw this city of Jerusalem? I've talked with some of you and you've reminisced about places in Baltimore that you grew up. Or maybe that you worked at. Some factory, some distant place. And you reminisce and say, boy, that place is gone now. Or it's left in ruins. It's a disaster. And we kind of make those comparisons and and almost to the point of tears. It's painful to think about. It's painful to see. It's heartbreaking. A few years ago, we drove back to the town where we once lived and to by the church that I once ministered in. We recognized that most of the houses all need a new coat of paint. The streets were full of potholes. Uh, the church, which was once adorned by beds of flowers, maintained by one that I know, um, was barren. It didn't mean that it was in disrepair, but there was no joy to it. You know, it was almost to the point of tears to see how this town had just kind of gone away. But is that what Jesus was crying over? The condition of Jerusalem's streets? The graffiti? Oh, there must have been tons of it, you know. Trash everywhere, lights out, abandoned chariots and carts on the side, you know. Had their wheels robbed? Maybe he was looking down and he was weeping over the condition of the city because the Romans were there. The Roman government and how they oppressed the people and how they were robbing them of their privileges and rights. What did he see that caused him to cry so fervently? He tells us in Matthew, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. God, in his love and compassion for Israel, sent prophets to warn them, the path you're going on is a path of destruction. The the path that you're going on is one that I've warned you again and and again, and and I'm sending a messenger to proclaim such a message. Listen to them. And what did they do? They stoned them. They killed them. Matthew continues, Oh, how often, were the words of Jesus, have I gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her her chickens under her wings, 
and you would not. It's a very graphic illustration, and one I don't know if you've any farm distance in your in your life ever seen a, a, a mother hen. And when there's something going on that she is, the little chicks will come and, and she'll hide them under the wings. And, and Jesus said, this is something that everybody understood. The hawk is flying over and mama gives out a cry and the chicks would come underneath and she'll protect them from the birds that were there. Jesus said, how often would I have covered you, Israel, and sheltered his people from the birds of prey, more specifically the eagle of Rome. Jesus knew what was happening, but he said, and he would not. They refused. You read through the Gospels, and you see how he poured himself out, displaying the power of God, the the deity of himself in his miracles, in the words that he spoke, and yet they hardened their hearts against him. And he's looking at this city, and it's not the buildings, it's not anything. He says, it's the heart of the people. And he wept for them. He knew what was coming. By 70 AD, the people were devoured and Jerusalem was laid in waste. Rome says, I've had enough. Let's go and clean out this rebellious people. It's been recorded that over a million Jews perished. Some 100,000 were taken into captivity. Josephus writes of the blood and the horses and the, the splattered up to the reins of the horses as the Romans came on through. But even worse than this enslavement and butchery of Israel, Jesus said what was worse is that they had rejected the Messiah. They rejected him. And behold, and he beheld the city and he wept over it. He saw the hearts of the people and he knew what was coming. You know, we may be brokenhearted over the plight of our cities, or saddened over the conditions of our neighborhoods, the places that we once lived. We may be even in, in angered in the direction that our country is going and shed tears for the, the immorality of the things that are taking place, how it's changed over these years, so prevalent that we're willing to give and to do whatever it takes to bring this country back to the way it was. And yet... What about our daily duties as we ply through the streets of our neighborhoods? Do we care for the souls of the people that we see? Do we care for them? What about the clerk at the grocery store that you've known for years? Your your barber, your hairdresser. What about the uh, uncle-aunt relationships that we've had? Grandmother, grandfathers. What about those that we've known, our neighbors, for 30 years or more? What about the 8 billion plus people in this world? Do we even think about their souls? It's easy to tag them as this ism or that ism, or under that flag or this flag. But what about their souls? Do we care at all? And he beheld the city and he wept over it. The story is told by an evangelist visiting Dr. Francis Schaeffer and his wife back in the mid-50s in Switzerland. They had a house back there. They were actually missionaries under the independent board for a number of years. He visited them, and as they all sat around the table at dinner one night, 
the conversation was ranging from all types of theology. You know, uh, Francis Schaeffer, well known in his books and, and, and ministries and such. And finally, one of the persons asked Dr. Schaefer, what will happen to those who have never heard of Christ? Everybody else kind of got quiet and they kind of focused their attention because they were looking for some great theological weighty answer, some profound response to this question. The evangelist wrote and said, nothing came out. He just bowed his head and wept. Jesus wept with Mary and Martha and compassion on them. But he sees the condition of the world that he was in, and he knew what was coming. He knew what was happening, and he cried for them. Our third passage out of the book of Hebrews, chapter 5 and verses 7 through 9. Speaking of Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, meaning time in his earthly ministry, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Our third and final picture takes us away from the streets entering into Jerusalem, away from the, uh, the, the passageways throughout the streets as they spent that week to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane, just before his arrest. You recall the events that this week takes place. It's been a busy week. Since the triumphal entry, uh, the Passover meal has been completed. He ends up feeling that it was necessary at this time, his juncture, to address what was coming about. The arduous mental, physical, and spiritual trials that he would just soon face. He needed help. He asked Peter, James, and John to come along with me and pray with me. You know, I need the support. Well, snooze away they did. Even awakened a number of times, they went back to their tiredness. Judas was about to betray him. His trial and crucifixion were just hours away. And what was he doing but praying earnestly and sincerely, sincerely with strong crying,s Father, If thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Father, the one who holds life and death in his hands, he says, the cup that I'm facing, the the Passover meal that was just completed, you know, uh, understanding that the lamb had to be sacrificed in order that the, the and the blood put upon the doorpost in order that life for that household would be preserved. Unlike us, as much as our prayer time is, I'm sure that this was not a one and done. You know, sometimes we get to a particular issue in life that's bothering us, and we say, you know. Lord, if it's be willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not by will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. 
He didn't sit there with a one and done. He poured out again and again and again and again in various words, but these same principles. You know, I am willing to take upon myself this task of suffering and dying and being rejected. But uh, what awaits me is a fearful thing. And what was he doing this for? He even said earlier, or his trial, he says he could have called 12 legions of angels. Didn't have to have it happen. He said, do you realize at any moment I could call thousands upon thousands of angels down to rescue me and clean up this whole situation? Yet the perfection of what he was sent for to redeem us wouldn't have been fulfilled. Some say that he prayed for himself not to have to go through this horrible agony that was before him. Yet such was tempered with his willingness to surrender to the will of his Father. And he did it for you and for me. He prayed for us. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And as sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground sincerely, earnestly knowing the conflict that existed in the man Jesus with the God Jesus. And this conflict was there, and he says, I'm willing to do it because of you and I to pour such out. The intensity in prayer, I think, is impossible for us to imagine, only unless we get into some area that we need to cry out. Imagine the crying out that Jonah did from the belly of the great fish that was prepared. You know, you know, on the ship, and the ship's getting tossed around, and and they said, "Pray to your gods." And Jonah says, "No, it's me. Throw me over." And they threw him over, and a great fish swallowed him up. But what do you think it was like inside that fish? I often heard somebody mention he says his uh, great message in Nineveh was because you know what fish smell like. And no doubt, no, Jonah smelled quite like the fish. And as he went through the city, his testimony was there in, in the stink. But can you imagine what it was like? God, would you save me out of this fish? I think he poured out his soul in his prayers to the God who could rescue him. He cried with every possibility of crying out there was in order for that to happen. Think of Hezekiah crying to God as they were about to be invaded by the Assyrians. Assyrians were notorious for being cruel. And he recognizes that the armies were coming and there was no hope whatsoever on the city itself to be rescued, save God. And so Hezekiah, no doubt, didn't pass on and say, God, would you rescue us? Okay, let's go. I think he spent his time with tears flowing out of, God, will you do this? God, would you provide rescue? And he did. Psalm 6, David writes, All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. I don't know what the situation was, and I don't think this is the only occasion when this happened. But David says, My nighttime, I was so burdened, and instead of getting up and, you know, sending a couple texts or see what Facebook had to say or watching something on TV, he pours out his heart in prayer to God, 
supplied by the tears that represented his heart's attitude. Blind Bartimaeus. It says that he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Blindness. And here's Jesus, the master coming. And it wasn't just a yelling, you know. He recognized that he could receive sight. And he cries unto Jesus, sincerely pouring this out again and again. Give me sight, Lord. And Jesus did. So it was our Savior's prayers that night in the garden the same. I think it's unlike so much of our prayer time, which we fill with repetitive, pious phrases, saying the same things again and again, throwing in words so fast that we hardly even know what we've said. And he prayed unto him that was able to save him from death, his father. We often talk about situations, people who are on the prayer list and so forth, and yet our attitude towards them and towards situations lacks the heart sincerity simply because we feel an obligation to pray for them. Do we realize that we pray to the one who can do all things according to his perfect will? And it may not end up that, you know, uh, my prayer will be answered. Mary and Martha no doubt prayed for their brother sincerely. God save him. And then what happens? He's dead, you know. If you had been here, he would have lived. But Jesus says that's not the purpose. Of course he's going to live. And he talked to Martha about that, you know. He says, there's a day of resurrection coming, all these other things, you know. There's a greater picture. So our prayers are are not to change and twist his arm. But our prayers are there to be able to cause me to see that I can't do it without him. God, only you can open that eye. Only you can change that heart. Only you can move this mountain. Only you, God, can dry up this river. Only you can do it. And out of sincere hearts, we pray. And if it's wrapped with tears, it comes from our hearts. We briefly looked at these three recorded instances of Jesus crying at the tomb of Lazarus, showing his love and compassion, in the city of Jerusalem, weeping for the people because they were on their way to destruction, and finally in the garden, praying with strong crying because he did so on our behalf. Not sure about your tears, not sure about my tears. Sometimes it's difficult for me to cry in situations unless I find it really earth-wrenching. Yet I find that there are times when it's necessary to pour out my heart to the Lord. Book of Revelation 21.4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and then shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, neither shall be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Those tear ducts, (laughs) no need because there's a grand filtration system in glory. You know, a change because Jesus has redeemed us. I trust that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior today. And if you don't, call upon him. Ask him to redeem you. May the, the tears that Jesus poured out on our behalf 
find soil that we can moisten in the roots of the seed of the gospel, bring forth fruit of repentance and fruit of eternal life. Shall we pray? Thank you, Father, for the tears of our Jesus. Oh, how he loves us so. Just not back then, but he still loves us. And he's standing on your right hand right now, pleading on behalf of his children, interceding for them, saying, these are mine, Father. Assist them, guide them, keep them from harm and the lurements of the wicked one. He does so because he loves us. He has compassion on us. He hears every word that we pour before him. Father, where we've stuffed our ears with other things and used our voices for things that are not very becoming as a child of the eternal God, we ask you to forgive us and assist us from our hearts out to live lives that are pleasing in your sight. That we might be like our Jesus, have compassion for those who are hurting, praying for those who are going to spend an eternity in hell without Jesus, and to pray, Father, that you would recognize we've done this through Jesus, our Savior and soon-coming King. In his name we pray. Amen.